Welcome to our Voices of Africa podcast, brought to you by Africa Practice, a strategic advisory firm supplying insights and advocacy solutions to corporations, investors, governments, and foundations in Africa. In a world with complex and interdependent challenges, we take the guesswork out of business engagement. We enable our clients to see more clearly in order to drive sustainable and equitable development. Hello and welcome to this edition of Voices of Africa. My name is Marcus Courage. I'm the CEO of Africa Practice. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Johnny Velosa, who is CEO of Cobaloni Energy. I'm going to ask Johnny to introduce himself in a moment. This episode forms part of our special series with Investing in Africa Mining in Daba. Our audience will know that Laura Cornish from the Hive Group has joined me for this series. Unfortunately, Laura can't be with us today. So it's just Johnny and myself. So Johnny has a wealth of experience in the mining industry. He's worked at Gem Diamonds, previously with BHP, where I think I'm right in saying he ran one of their largest iron ore mines. He was with BHP also as an exploration manager. Prior to that, with Anglo Gold Ashanti, and he held various roles at De Beers, the global diamond mining group. Johnny, I'm so thrilled you can be with us today. You're going to tell us about your current venture, your CEO of Cobaloni Energy. You're building the first battery-grade cobalt sulfate refinery on the African continent, a very exciting development. And we're looking forward to hearing more about that and the work that you're doing to ensure that Zambia, because that's where your asset is, your operations are, can participate in the global battery value chain. Marcus, thank you very much. And it's great to be with you today. Tell us, where are you speaking to us from? I'm speaking to you from Lusaka in Zambia, where I've based myself now for approximately the last year as we've been developing this project. Well, we're going to speak about this project in a moment. Before we do that, will you, will you tell our audience about yourself, where you grew up, the career that you've pursued? I, I grew up in Johannesburg. I'm getting on a little bit. So born in 1971 and did my formative years and all my schooling and tertiary education in Johannesburg, where I studied mining engineering. Luckily, I had a De Beers bursary, which really got me off to a great start. And of course, as you mentioned, I spent quite a bit of time with De Beers, which gave me the platform to launch my career. Then I've been really lucky in in working multiple commodities, both on the African continent, South America, North America, and in Australia, where I was with BHP, as you mentioned. So I've had a very, very fortunate career. That career took me into the DRC, where I was the CEO of a copper cobalt mining company. And it was while I was up there, looking at the cobalt market as a whole, that I saw this opportunity for us to potentially build a refinery for cobalt on the African continent. And it was, it was quite an interesting transition for me because I've been a, a corporate individual for my whole life. And this big leap of going into an entrepreneurial venture took a huge leap of faith, wasn't an easy thing to do. But I think I had the confidence to do it through friends, colleagues, mentors, urging me to have a go and give it a bash. And, and I'm really glad I did. It's been pretty difficult. Uh, it's been challenging. But I think it's going to start paying off and it's going to be very, very rewarding once we get this refinery up and running. 
Thanks for that, Johnny. So to, to tell us, when did you start the Cobaloni journey? How many years ago and at what stage are you at presently? Yeah, Marcus, we started this journey about four and a half years ago. Although I'm CEO of the company, I'm also one of the founders with a, a colleague and friend of mine, a guy by the name of Brendan Mosley, who uh, is a chemical engineer and has worked in the industry for a long time. And about four and a half years ago, the two of us decided that we'd, we'd give this a bash. We've done a huge amount of test work trying to get the optimal flow sheet uh, developed for our project. Uh, we've landed on a flow sheet. We um, have finished a, a feasibility study. We're currently uh, have started our detailed engineering for the project, and we're in the process of doing environmental permitting. The site that we have selected is here in Lusaka and is an industrial development zone just to the southeast of Lusaka. And, you know, it has a whole bunch of benefits for us going in there. But really, the critical thing for us now is to finish the detailed engineering. And, and we're busy raising financing for the project as well. So we have quite a few interactions going with banks at the moment, with suppliers of raw material, with potential off-takers. So it's in a very interesting and exciting phase for the project. Our intention, Marcus, is to be construction ready at the end of April of next year. And if we have the funding in place by then, we would start construction straight away, which is you know, a good time to do it, given the fact that it's the dry season in Zambia at that time of the year. And we've got approximately 14 months to build the, the, the facility. And the idea is to be in production in the middle of 2025, which is not very far away now. No. Give us a sense of the, the scale of the project. How much cobalt will you be refining each year? We'll be refining 6,000 tonnes of contained metal a year. You know, so that, what does that mean? That means about a million batteries per year. So, you know, if you have a look at the sort of volume that is forecast and required, we're not a particularly big player, although it will be the third largest refinery in the world. So it's, it's not an insignificant project, but there is a lot of cobalt sulfate required and, and we will be a small part of the supply chain, I think. Tell us, Johnny, can you educate us about the production of batteries? So cobalt is a core component for lithium-ion batteries. What's the, the cobalt sulfate that you'll be producing? How does that fit into the battery? What extent of manufacturing and assembly of the battery is taking place in Zambia, as you envisage, or what quantum of, of the input for the battery are you going to produce from your factory? Yeah, um, so yeah, it's an interesting and, a, and can be a highly technical question, but in essence, lithium-ion batteries have got manganese, nickel, and cobalt on the cathode side of the battery. On the anode side of the battery, there's graphite, there's lithium, there's copper. We're obviously focused on, on the cathode side. We, we are really lucky in this country that we have nickel, manganese, and cobalt produced in the country. At the moment, you know, in terms of what is Zambia doing about constructing and building batteries, uh, it's probably guided uh, by the memorandum of understanding that was signed earlier this year between the United States, the DRC, and Zambia, where the three governments agreed to collaborate on building a battery 
capability in the region because there are so many of the raw materials that are produced either in these two countries or can be sourced from from neighboring countries. We're pretty much first mover in this space. As far as we're aware, there's nobody else thinking about building refinery capacity. And in terms of the value chain, obviously we're, we're good at mining in the area as an industry. We've been mining in Zambia since the, the 50s. There's lots of very well-developed mines, very mature operations, and of course, a lot of highly skilled people in the mining environment. And the same is true of the DRC. But there is no refining capacity on the continent for battery grade material. And that's a space that we want to fill and that the both governments want to, want to be filled as well. We are just one step in the battery process. So there's mining, then there's obviously the refining, and then there is the processing of the refined material to make precursors. And those precursors are then built into the battery. And as you go further down, the refining is relatively complex. The manufacturing of precursors is relatively complex, but the construction and their ultimate construction of batteries is is technically exceptionally challenging. The tolerances are very small. The quality control is enormous. And there's a lot of work to be done uh, in country before we get to the phase of actually building batteries. So, you know, my view is that the memorandum of understanding between the three governments should focus on refining first, then building the precursor facilities, and then building the batteries. And we've got a long way to go before we can get there, Marcus. That's very interesting to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I'm obviously aware, as are most people, of the announcement that was made 18 months ago now between Zambia, the DRC, and the US when they signed that memorandum of understanding to produce battery precursors. It's instructive to hear, as you've just told us now, that you know, it's those three elements, mining, refining, processing, and manufacturing of precursors. Can you tell us how Zambia is doing on that front at this stage? I know there have been meetings of the Battery Council um, established in, in Zambia. How quickly do you think Zambia will be able to advance to the stage where the cobalt sulfate that you produce from your factory can contribute to the process of manufacturing precursors in Zambia? Yeah, I, I'm not sure, Marcus, uh, yeah. is, is the honest answer there. We, we've been, as, as I think you are aware, we've been involved with the Battery Council meetings here in Zambia, as have a lot of the big role players in the country, mainly the mining uh, houses. We are working with government and we are consulting into that battery council because we think we have a, a significant role to play. The government is doing some very, very good work in terms of setting up a battery park. The idea is, is to put a battery park up on the copper belt where a lot of this material will come from. But, you know, these facilities take time to build. In the conversations we've been having with the organization that's doing the feasibility study for this facility is that it's probably about two years away. Then we've got to get people to do the feasibility studies and make the commitments. And, you know, I, I speak for myself and from the experience that we have had, it's taken us four and a half years to get where we are. Yeah. By the time we're construction ready, it's been five years. It, it feels like it's been a lot shorter, but the reality is, is that projects of this nature take a lot of time. The technology is not simple. The chemistry is complex. 
whilst the Zambian government is doing some fantastic work in creating an investment climate, people still have to go through their due diligence processes. People still have to raise money. And raising money in this current environment is exceptionally difficult. I mean, we're, we're finding it challenging. And so with all the best intents in the world and all the aspirations that our governments have and all the support from organizations like ourselves, uh, it's going to take a long time, Marcus. It's not going to happen overnight. Luckily, there is the political will. Luckily, there is the organizational will from people like myself, but it's still going to take some time. I would suggest that we're at least five, six years away. And if you're producing your cobalt sulfate at a time when there's not the, the demand in Zambia, if I've got that right, because we're still some years away from having that capability to convert it into, into the precursor materials, you'll be exporting it. So where, where will you export it to? Well, Marcus, I, I mean, ideally, and, and you've touched on a really hot topic here for me, um, you know, ideally, we would like to be supplying it into a regional player, whether that be in South Africa or Botswana or, or wherever. We would love to be supplying it to an African-based battery manufacturer. And there's some talk of, of that happening in South Africa, and, and we're keeping a very, very close eye on that. But the reality is, is that we're going to have to ship it overseas. Part of our strategic intent when we started this business was that we wanted to give Western auto manufacturers an alternate to Chinese controlled cobalt. Just with the geopolitical issues that have been raising their heads over the last sort of four to five years, it became a fairly obvious comment that if we have material that, that comes out of the DRC, gets refined in Zambia with full traceability, it will lend itself to Western auto manufacturers being the key customers for us. So I'm envisaging that we will send the material either into Europe or North America. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Thank you. You mentioned, Johnny, earlier the pre-feasibility for the battery park that um, will be located up in the Copper Belt in, in Ndola or Kitwe, I assume. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that battery park might look like? What sort of operators factories will be present in that battery park, just to give those of us who are not so familiar with how the battery value chain operates. Yeah, of course. So refineries like ourselves absolutely would be one of the key audiences. There, there is scope in this country for us to refine both manganese and nickel. And once the facility is up and running, and, and let me be clear, Marcus, if the facility was now up and running and available. We would be locating ourselves there. The reason we're not locating ourselves there is because this facility is not up and running. So I think yeah. we'll have refineries in there. A big part of um, the government's push as well is also to add value to copper that could go into the electric vehicle market. So it's the, the, the secondary processing of copper and the value addition of copper. I think that would be a key issue. And then just creating the precursor. So a precursor facility in that battery park would make an enormous amount of sense. So I think the, you know, the park that, that is being envisaged is, is large. Um, it's, yeah. it's going to have the ability to take quite a few uh, operators in there. So I think all components of the battery value chain should and potentially could be in there. Thank you. Thanks for that education. I wanted to turn to to skills and capabilities. 
it's pretty sophisticated technology and, and chemistry. You, you referenced that earlier. I know that um, Zambia has a, a long history of, of copper mining, um, specifically dating back to um, the 1970s. Um, but um, do you have concerns that um, Zambia's workforce is skilled enough to participate in this battery value chain and to ensure that we the, the industry is is competitive enough to compete globally yeah it's a good question that so when we decided where we were going to be building our refinery we had the luxury of choice because we're not tied to a, a physical resource in the ground and we're importing the raw materials to convert it and then export the finished product we could build this facility anywhere. We chose Zambia because of the fact that we believe that there are the requisite skills in country for the work that we do. We're not going to have to load our, our facility with expats. We use pretty much a, a hydrometallurgical process with some crystallization technologies. There are some key aspects of our business where we're going to have to bring skills in, we think. But I think that the education, the basic education system in Zambia is adequate, and we will be able to upskill local engineers to do the work that we need to do in the specialized areas. So that's good. And mm. I'm not worried about that. We will get the skills, and we've got a list of people that we are targeting to come and join us already. Having said that, as you go further down the value chain, the precursor manufacturers, probably the same sort of comments around skills. I get really worried when it comes to batteries. You know, I, I, there's, there's an example, Marcus, that was shared with us when a big battery factory was, was constructed in the United States. A technology service provider in Japan flew 250 engineers across to the United States to help the Americans set up this battery facility. That will have to happen here. I mean, there's no mm -hmm. question about that. And we, we will have to create the skills for the battery components. I, I'm... Uh, just reiterated, I'm not worried about refining. I'm not worried yeah. about the pre It's in that battery space. And then we've also got to say, well, if we're going to bring 250 engineers out here for an extended period of time, do we have the ability to educate their children and house their families? And and that's an important component as well. And it's 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 some of these more softer issues around the transferring of skills that I think is going to be a challenge for us building the battery capability in country. Not impossible, but we've got to be intentional around how we do it, how we upskill people, the technology service providers that we partner with. It's not easy, but I think it is possible. Well, that's encouraging to hear. Yeah, it's encouraging to hear someone who's not only observing, but actively participating in efforts to ensure that uh, Africa is processing more of its minerals domestically, refining more in the way that you're proposing to do with your new plant, and ambitions to participate much higher up in the value chain of, of these critical minerals, including the opportunity to certainly participate in the precursor manufacturing, but, but potentially also in better battery manufacturing, albeit that's a long way from now, and there are many steps to cover between now and then. But exciting to hear and learn that you're on track to be in production, if I recall what you said earlier, in 2025, starting construction next year. I, I got that right, didn't I, Johnny? Uh, that's correct, Marcus. That is our yeah. timeline, yeah.
Great. And what sort of a workforce will you have at the plant? You mentioned you'll be producing, you hope, when you're at full capacity, enough for a million batteries annually. Is that annually? That is correct. So, so Marcus, we, we, we will employ 165 people. So yeah. it's 165 permanent jobs. You know, what's important for me there, and it's quite a big responsibility, is that, you know, that, that implies you know, we'll have a direct impact on about 1,500 lives. But that's just in our phase one. We do have aspirations for a second facility in Zambia, also doing cobalt. We've designed our central infrastructure to support two plants. And basically, these plants are modular. So, you know, the second plant, we should be able to build fairly quickly. No detailed engineering required, you know, if you like, a, a cut and paste of plant one. And that would push our workforce up to about 320 people. So it's unfortunately, it's not a, a huge employer, but I think it is a very important project to the strategy of the country, to the ambitions of this government. And so whilst it will not employ a huge number of people, it will have a massive impact on the yeah. country. We believe that we'll add about $20 million a year into the local economy, just in terms of salaries and wages and local procurement. Coupled with that, we, we create a number of byproducts which can be used in the manufacture of agricultural products or washing powder detergents. In, at the moment, all of that material is being imported from other countries. So we would almost create a circular economy in the country, which I think is also hugely important and has a massive financial impact just on, on a country that, as we are all aware, is, is battling financially at the moment. So I think we have a big role to play. We have a big social responsibility and we will be employing not an insignificant number of people. I just wish it could be more. Ah, well, that's wonderful to hear. And aside from your direct contribution, you're obviously a vital catalyst to the longer term ambitions for the country to participate in producing battery precursors. Johnny, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, well, frankly, for me, what was an education into production of batteries and the different components of, at different parts of the value chain and to learn more about Zambia's ambition and where it stands on that journey at present. Johnny, we traditionally ask our guests to tell us what they're reading or a book that they'd like to recommend to our audience. That's the final question that I put to our guests. So can I put that same question to you now? Yeah, of course, Marcus. I was recently in Morocco at an African Investment Forum conference in Marrakesh. And I, I, I snuck off one afternoon for a little tour of Marrakesh and, and got reminded about Winston Churchill's love affair with Morocco, which is the Mamounia Hotel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which we went to, interestingly enough. Yeah. But I sort of had my passion for Churchill reignited. So I've dusted off a couple of books. Uh, Probably my favorite one is actually written by Boris Johnson and simply called Churchill. So that's on top of the pile next to my bed at the moment. And when I get some downtime over December, that's, that's what I'm going to get into, Marcus. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you for um, spending time with us today. It's been, as I say, an education for me, and I've learned a lot in talking to you. I'm sure our audience has as well. We wish you strength and good fortune with your Kobaloni Energy Project and the construction of that refining plant that you're doing in, in Lusaka. And we look forward to seeing not only the progress of your project, but Zambia's ambitions in participating in the global battery value chain and specifically in producing precursors for the battery industry. So thank you, Johnny, for your time. 
It's been a great pleasure, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into a Voices of Africa podcast this week. Voices of Africa is a forum where Africa's leading experts weigh in on cross-sectional topics affecting the continent. Experts share their views on how we can unlock greater value that will benefit industry, government, and communities. For more of our insights, visit our website or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, Views on Africa, in the description.